With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program on this Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you guys for joining us. We've got two hours stacked up, and we're going to load it up with a lot of news and analysis today. We've got some breaking news, potentially, potentially, I say potentially, cautiously, big developments in in Gaza, in the Middle East, with Israel's war against the Palestinians, uh, potential ceasefire truce, temporary truce, I guess, agreement. But there's caveats. We'll cover that uh, in a moment. And we'll also be joined in the first hour by Freddie Ponton, who's going to be joining us on the live link. Great to have Freddie back. And he's got a lot to say. He's got a lot to say. He's been working very hard on X Twitter, putting out truth bombs left, right, and center. He's been carpet bombing Twitter with truths. So Freddie's going to come and share some of that with us uh, today on the program. And in the second hour, we're going to be joined by a Palestinian activist who was on the show at the beginning of this conflict. Uh, if you remember, Hibba Hajjaj. A uh, fantastic commentator and uh, a real advocate for uh, Palestinian human rights. He's going to be joining us in the second hour. I'm really looking forward to that. She'll be live from the UK. Now, uh, we, we had some rufflings over the last couple of days and back and forth, a lot of commotion, a lot of confusion about talks of a, of, of some kind of a temporary ceasefire a humanitarian pause a truce nobody knows what to call it uh, this is kind of unprecedented in that respect a hostage swap okay between israel and hamas in gaza as we say hamas we mean all of the palestinian resistance factions under a collective uh, umbrella which doesn't really represent the truth of it and we'll just call it hamas because that's what the media and everybody else are using so just so you can follow the story so Israel and Hamas, prisoner swap. So we're told that in principle, Hamas, through mediators in Qatar and also the U.S., have agreed in principle to a deal, a hostage swap deal. So has the Israeli cabinet. They've also approved a prisoner swap with Hamas. And this will see the release of 50 Israelis, as well as a short truce. We're talking about a three-day truce. Okay, That's just nothing, a blink of the eye, compared to six weeks of rapacious targeting of hospitals and murdering civilians at the hands of the IDF. I'm just calling balls and strikes. These are not my opinions, folks. This is the facts. So Israel expects that Hamas will release the first hostages from the October 7th raid. On Thursday, that's tomorrow. If you're listening to this live broadcast, it's Wednesday today. So Thursday, tomorrow, November 23rd, the Hamas will release the first of its Israeli capt uh, captured hostages. And that's according to Ellie Cohen, the foreign minister of Israel. As told the press, the statement came several hours after the Israeli cabinet gave the green light on this swap. So it'll be 
50 Israeli hostages for 150 Palestinian hostages. Now, that might come as a little surprise to some people. Think, well, I didn't know Israel was taking hostages. Uh, let's red pill you now. Uh, Israel's been taking hostages for 75 years without charge or trial. So the Palestinians have asked for 150 women and children held without any real charges or trial, just indefinitely to abuse them, to torture them, to keep them in arbitrary detention. That is torture, by the way, according to the UN Convention and according to the UN Special Rapporteur on Palestine and the UN Sp Special Rapporteur's multiple on torture. Okay, Administrative detention is torture. So Israel has 9,000, maybe more, of these Palestinians held as police political prisoners in all their gulags, which are dotted around in secure areas in the occupied territories. So Palestine, Hamas has asked for 150 of those women and children held in Israeli gulags. That changes the picture, doesn't it? You can you now can see this isn't just about October 7th. Okay. So this detail will be covered up in the Western media. You can absolutely guarantee that. This, this talk of how many Palestinians are held as arbitrarily held as political prisoners by the Israeli regime will go largely unnoticed in the U.S. press. But that is the big story here, because what happened on October 7th was a retaliation against an ongoing war, a slow genocide, and ethnic cleansing of the native Palestinian population. It's pure and simple. When you look at it in these terms, the wider context, the wider scope, which is what we try to do on this program, not just with this issue, but with all issues. We widen the context. We look at historical context. We widen the scope. What the mainstream media do and what your politicians do is they try to narrow it down into the tiniest possible band or frame of reference, thus narrowing the conversation down into a absolutely tiny, tight band of discussion. Okay, that's called framing. This is what Israel does with its propaganda. This is what the United States and the mainstream media do to protect their policies and to make it look like they're doing things in a moral way or that they're only reacting to a terrorist attack by Hamas. Okay, that's the game. That's, that's the propaganda game, folks, right there. So anyway, over the last few days, several media outlets, as well as top U.S. officials, including Joe Biden himself, have suggested that such an agreement would materialize. So is this the U.S. putting pressure on Israel to do something? I think so. This is hurting the Democrats massively. However, there's a problem. Now for reality. Now, so that was the red pill. Here's the black pill. Uh, the Israelis will not confirm when fighting will stop as sides agree to a four-day ceasefire. Okay, now it's four days and the release of 50 hostages. So what Israel's saying here and what they normally do, Israel, and it, again, not my opinion, facts. Every single ceasefire agreement pretty much since time immemorial in this conflict to, to an incident, one by one, you look at what happened. Israel has broken every ceasefire. They've always found a way to break the ceasefire, and then what they do is they run to the Western media 
and to the news agencies and give a statement to make it seem like the Palestinians broke the ceasefire. And they've been proven and exposed and debunked every single time. Just look at the historic record. Israel's ceasefire violations, you can look them up. There are too, too many to count, okay? So why would they do anything different this time? Well, the answer is they won't, and here you go. They're already setting it up for failure. They say they want, they want to do the prisoner swap, but they want to keep bombing. Are you following us here? They want to keep the airstrikes going. They don't want any pause in the bombing, but they want to do their hostage swap, you see. Because Israel says that if they if they don't stop bombing and hitting Palestinian hospitals and massacring unarmed, defenseless Palestinian civilians, that somehow that's going to put them in a you know a vulnerable position security wise. This is the base. That's not exactly what they're saying, but that's how they're sort of rationalizing it. Is they can't afford to stop the killing. You see, so I don't think there's going to be a ceasefire. And if there is, I'd give it 24 hours, if that, maybe 12. It's just not going to happen. So they're already putting caveats. Will this slow up the hostage swap? It might. It might. But what we're doing here is just telling you what to get ready for, folks. So <laughs> this, is, this is unbelievable. Um, and there's other breakdowns and other breaking news that is just unbelievable, the stuff coming out. We're going to try to keep you updated on this. But, you know, there's, we're just war warning you in advance that expect turbulence on this one. It's far from decided how this is going to play out. Look, time to take a break with the station with TNT. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. On the other side, we'll connect Freddie Ponton, French journalist, for more insights on today's events and beyond. Stay right there. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive 
multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. All right, welcome back, folks. Welcome back. We're still in the first hour of this live broadcast. Really appreciate your listenership, especially all you guys in the TNT chat community. Look at everybody piling in there. We got a nice crowd building up here on Wednesday. That's always great to see. If you're listening on the live stream, whether on audio or on the video stream, some of you might be privy to the video stream. Some of you have discovered it yet. Others, uh, I don't know if it's fully live, but uh, we're, it, it's out there. It's getting out there, so be prepared. This might be a regular thing. Uh, but uh, if you're in the TNT chat room, uh, just log in, tntradio.live. You see the chat community there, lower right-hand corner of the screen. You'll see a red bubble there. That's where you want to click. You just log in. It'll keep you logged in for future sessions. But that's where the real community is. That's where the action is during this program. I see you guys in there. You guys are hilarious, actually. Some crazy, crazy mems and a some actually very informative links dropped in the TNT chat bar. That's where you want to be. I want to welcome onto the stage uh, a very uh, trusted analyst, good friend, a great independent researcher and journalist from France, Freddie Ponton, uh, who's, uh, I think, leading the conversation in terms of French journalists in the English language sphere. Uh, Freddie is just putting out some incredible content on X twitter and a lot of people have recognized his work now especially in the last six weeks is absolutely invaluable on this topic freddie is on the line right now freddie how are you i'm very good patrick good to be with you yeah i really appreciate your work freddie you've been really hitting it hard and you've been hitting a lot of breaking stuff you've debunked a lot of propaganda that's coming out of the idf so you've sort of this is quite a formidable team of debunkers on x twitter and you're definitely in the premier league uh there freddie so we're we're, we're very happy that uh you're on the case because uh th this is what's happening freddie i mean let's talk about the breaking news from gaza but just on the information warfare front you know what have you observed i mean i've i've seen literally stuff released by the idf freddie and, and with, it's been debunked like within I would say the one of the fastest ones I've seen is debunked within three minutes. That's how quickly people are working. It's not that hard. Uh, and and so just your comments on this, th this kind of information warfare is crowdsourced counter propaganda. Go ahead, Freddie. Yes, absolutely. I think it's really in people's face. So it doesn't require a, a huge amount of skills to uh, to find anomalies and understanding the, the game that has been played. You know, and I think that we've. I'm really absolutely impressed by the amount of accounts on on X and other platforms that that are literally uh, working around the clock. You know, to to assess the information that that has been put into the. Uh, 
the social network sphere and uh, trying to really take control uh, of the, the the narrative. So the IDF is obviously leading these fights with this Hasbara uh, kind of uh, doctrines, you know, really about uh, not concentrating on the, the, the dirty work that they are doing in the Gaza Strip or in the West Bank, but more concentrating on on selling the idea that what they're doing is the right to self-defense. Uh, it's justifiable. And uh, more importantly, this everything is legal and justifiable. So the Al-Shifa hospital was very much uh, at the center uh, of this, uh, uh, this propaganda effort from the IDF because they uh, came up with some extraordinary claims with regards to these bunkers being underneath uh, of the Al-Shifad were used by the Hamas forces and on and on these tunnels that obviously are used by uh, uh, various factions within the Gaza Strips. And then uh, they, they came really short. Uh, they came really short because that what they are showing to us are materials which is very, very strange because none of them are, are making sense. You know, some of them are cut, edited, uh, we can see that they have no problem planting evidence. They've been caught even by even the mainstream media has no choice but to report on it. We saw CNN doing it. We saw uh, other uh, uh, Al Jazeera and all the mainstream media is talking about this inconsistency uh, uh, from the IDF. And uh, there's no other word but to call it propaganda. And we can clearly see, if you go onto the IDF uh, X account, you can clearly see the uh, influence and how much uh, money has been poured into the uh, Bharatiya Janata Party, the famous BG, uh, B, uh, BJP, sorry, information technology cell coming out of India. So you get all these Indians that basically primarily far right that are creating this traffic on the uh, on the IDF channel on, on X. And uh, uh, that's how they maintain themselves because they, they get 250,000 viewers in about 20, 30 minutes, sometime an hour and a half. But uh, we can clearly see that without the uh, uh, the BJPIT cell from India, uh, they'll be probably uh, uh, have very little support. So that's uh, in, in a certain way very reconverting. But uh, uh, what, what I can tell you is that uh, what we've been served right now is of very poor quality and certainly is not something that will be acceptable in a court of law. But hold on, Freddie. What you just said is a bombshell. Are you telling us? <laughs> are you telling us that there is an organized? Uh, a boosting campaign run out of, like, say, boiler room call centers of internet trolls in India, BJP. Are you talking about Modi, the BJP? Are they pushing IDF propaganda to boost it on X Twitter and other platforms? Is that what you're saying? On an industrial scale. Patrick. Wow. Holy macro. <laughs> do, do, you, do you realize how significant this is? Okay. So this is another state actor working in consort with Israel, boosting prop war propaganda in the midst yep. of uh, unprecedented uh, documented war crimes and crimes against humanity being perpetrated by the IDF, Freddy's. This has huge uh, implications, Freddy. Uh, well, the, the, Go the ahead. This uh, this has to do with the uh, you know the the Gujarat you know and the Narendra Modi. That's how he he, he got to uh, to really get popular in terms of uh, really um, 
developing a set of skills with this uh, 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 social media cell, which employs thousands of people, which basically 24-7 are uh, creating uh, different material, photoshopping, uh, creating memes, and then, of course, you know, disseminating a large uh, Islamophobic uh, kind of contents. And a, a lot of things is based on complete fabricated material. This has been exposed by a few, uh, obviously, good journalistic platform, and you can search, you can find online some of the studies of this particular um, social media self movement. And I think they've developed a set of skills that could be used by the uh, uh, by the far right in, in Israel. And so the far right in uh, in, in India seems obviously a, a correlation, if you will, in between what they've done and they could basically use this set of skills within this uh, Israeli-Gaza uh, Strip conflict. And that's exactly what they did. Now, as I said, that's why I was a little bit upset and kind of raising my voice on, on Twitter saying that, you know, Elon Musk, we're not saying that... when. We're not about, you know, censorship and saying to the people, you can't talk, you know, or you shouldn't be there. And uh, obviously, we need to be very precise when we mention things like that, which sometimes I'm not, you know, <laughs> I confess guilty, you know. But at, at the end of the day, what's very important is that there is some kind of proportionality and partiality and fairness. And we can see accounts like myself, which is completely ghost accounts on Twitter. Uh, I've been cut on replies, I've been cut on exposures. I live in a small Twitter bubble. Uh, that is made of my followers on on X, for example. But uh, I'm not getting this uh, uh, access to the to the main uh, X uh, uh, kind of uh, community. I'm exercised from from that particularly per particular community, so I'm not able to get the message across. But these guys are, and what I'm putting the finger and and sometimes I'm, I'm I'm posting to Elon Musk, and I'm saying, you know, uh, if these guys are allowed to be there and get tractions on the idea of platforms on their accounts, surely those that journalists that actually have evidence, those that using mainstream media articles, so everything is backed up, and we back up our claim because we know normally we get bombarded with nonsense, you know, so we're very careful about what we're doing, yet these guys from the Bay, uh, the BJP IT cell in India, the capable of literally entertaining complete propaganda uh, on the on the X account to support IDF, and I think that should be uh, completely exposed. You know, wow, oh, th th this <laughs> this is going to get exposed. Uh, there's a lot of people interested in that that probably don't even know about this yet, and we're, we're going to be talking about that probably later after the program on X Twitter Spaces with uh with Khaleesi and these people like this they're going to be very interested in your uh, I might have to bring you in on that conversation Freddie um so let's get to the to the task at hand in Gaza what do you make of this uh ceasefire stroke truce stroke humanitarian pause nobody knows what to call it because it, it's not really a ceasefire what they're proposing and it's even worse Freddie I just reported just a couple of minutes ago uh, the IDF mm -hmm. says, though they can't confirm, you know, when the when the bombing is can actually stop, you know. So it's almost ready, as I said before. Before we brought you on, I said, it, so Israel wants to do the hostage swap for political reasons, but they don't want to stop the the air campaign because of security reasons. Like if they pause, it's going to be somehow like it's going to make them vulnerable. That's the kind of argument they're making. So what do you, uh, let's start from zero. Uh, you, you've seen how this story has played out. What, what What's your assessment of this so far? 
Well, I think my, my first assessment is to understand the nature of this negotiation, because at the end of the day, we need to call it for what it is, and it, it is a hostage negotiation. So it's nothing to do with humanitarian truth, so it, it has nothing to do with that. It's when you're in a, uh, uh, in, in a condition where you're negotiating hostage release, it comes with a certain demand from both sides. Now, when you analyze what has been said over the last past 48 hours, uh, my conclusion, it's my opinion, but of course my conclusion is, is pretty much, it's quite dire because what I'm seeing here is really a, a damage control exercise. So I think the motivation behind Israel and the United States entertaining this kind of a hostage swap is simply because they feel the heat uh, back home, we, we can see that Netanyahu has been under tremendous pressures back home uh, in Israel with the public asking for uh, results, asking for, you know, what is it that you actually do to save the hostages and what are the chances we find them alive since you've been basically flattening Gaza for more than a month. And then on the other side, you get Joe Biden that is uh, also uh, uh, within his own administration under tremendous pressure because uh, you have a broadcasted genocide uh, on live television around the world for more than a month and Biden still kind of uh, not interesting in, in, in stopping or, or pressurizing uh, Netanyahu's administration, a government for a, a ceasefire. So unless I'm hearing ceasefire, which means that this is solid uh, and, and that really goes towards the end of the conflict, all the rest, like truce, like hostage negotiations and swap, it's cosmetic. Basically, that's help Israel and Biden to go through that little band that seems to be uncomfortable back home. That's it. That's all it is. And the chances for that to be successful, uh, as I say, is very fragile. It's very fragile uh, hostage because underlining cause behind that is not genuine. It's actually selfish. Uh, and I'm very concerned and very worried because we can see who's moving. We could see Iran prime ministers. We can see Hezbollah meeting with uh, the Hamas in the route. Uh, we can see the Israeli intelligence at this moment in time as we speak in, the, uh, in Doha, in Qatar, trying to find a, a way to release this hostage without, you know, Hamas uh, basically uh, uh, saying clearly they're not going to give away their positions, not give away, you know, where the hostages are coming from. So the, all that. It's very tricky, and the chances for it to be successful, to be honest, are very slim. Wow. Wow. So it, it, that's the other problem here. Normally in the conflict, as you said, Freddie, ceasefire means ceasefire. Uh, it, <laughs> it's, it means ceasefire. And, and that means the aid comes in, the water's turned on, the electricity's turned on, the medical supplies flow, the UN investigators arrive, the human rights groups arrive doctors without borders sends in a team of you know how many doctors do you think they need from uh, these ngos and how many are available i'll bet you freddie that there's hundreds available that are basically ready to to be deployed to come and help i can tell you for a fact just from the arabic countries just from the european countries there's hundreds of doctors that will go with uh, medicine sans frontier or any any of these organizations so like that has to be part of the deal right i mean doesn't that make sense well they're already there you see they've been there from only for some of them two weeks some of them even three weeks at you the, know at, because... rafa, at rafa 
Yes, they're in Egypt. You know, they're waiting for for for. They they want guarantees. You know, I mean, if you're UN uh, UNRWA or if you are IRC or if you know any kind of Médecins Sans Frontières, any kind of NGOs organizations that works for you know medical relief uh, even you know the who they have people but they feel very responsible for these people for the staff since mm-hmm. you know israel is 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 basically you know targeting even you know school uh un compounds with diplomatic protections uh so clearly it doesn't have any problem in Hitting journalists or, or doctors. We saw that what happened at the Al Shifa hospital. We saw that the, the amount of casualties amongst the people that are there to help others. You know, so now the staff is available. It's at the border. It's waiting for the green light to get in. But part of this negotiation does not involve the uh, movement of doctors to relieve those that have been working for over a month, 24-7, to try to save lives. So I don't know in which states the doctors operate and how, when, when are they getting rest. But what I can tell you is that this is not a main priority from the Israeli side. They don't want anybody from outside to come in. Uh, so we have seen a couple of WHO guys coming in, a couple of UN guys coming in, but it's very small very limited, and it's not for a long period of time. Uh, I'm, I'm very concerned, very, very concerned, because this is a, a, a humanitarian crisis on a, on a massive scale. And, uh, and, and I, I don't see how you can come out with this, you know, with a win-win situation. Someone's going to get hurt. There's no doubt about it. I don't know. We know the Palestinians have been hurt already, so there's no doubt that this has already been achieved. Uh, but uh, this is not going to last there because we can clearly see, you know, Iran, Hezbollah, everybody's around the region is starting to be more than nervous, although they don't want to get involved in a regional conflict because they understand they understand the implications. And uh, uh, But at the end of the day, if you're forcing the hands of the neighboring countries, and especially Iran, uh, to intervene, this could be absolutely far more tragic than what we are currently seeing. So uh, this is why ceasefire was so important, to avoid this conflict, to take a regional proportion. And unfortunately, the stubbornness of the Israeli government, the blindness of the Biden administration is allowing more uh, more murdering, more genocide to take place. And as I said, again, this is just cosmetic because in four days time, even though this will, let's say, for example, this will get really all the way to the four days, which I doubt, but are, let's let's say for, for, for the sake of it that this is going to be successful, uh, it doesn't matter. From the moment you start again to bomb and to uh, to to kill at will, you know, uh, the civilian populations, nothing has changed. We've not achieved anything. We'll just put some food in the belly for four days and in, in people, give them a bit of water, a bit of comfort, uh, if you can call that comfort, and then go back again killing them. I mean, does anything resemble to diplomacy? Is anything resemble to human common sense? Does anything uh, resemble to peace and a desire for peace? The answer is no. I don't see it anywhere, and it's bound to fail. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't think this is going to provide any. I, I don't think benefits long term. You know, I could be wrong. Let, let's let's say theoretically. Okay, let's say theoretically, Freddie, that uh, they they do successfully have a three day truce or a three day pause in let's say Israeli bombing 
and there's no rockets coming from Gaza uh, going towards uh, the Israeli uh, territory, occupied territory. And let's say that uh, there's no shooting. Uh, soldiers aren't doing incursions with the tanks. It's kind of difficult, actually, Freddie, because they're already in northern Gaza. And they're already taking up positions amongst some residents are still in northern Gaza. Some resistance fighters are there. They'd have to pull out, actually, of the city uh, in order to make this work, Freddie. So I just like logistically, because anything could be could be used and said, ah, they, so it's like Israel could, uh, they, they, they've already sort of taken over al-shifa hospital and turning it into a military command center for the idf practice that's that's probably what they want to do to make a strong statement they want to carve out a green zone but that's going to preclude any actual ceasefire from happening let's just say it happens freddie and then what and then uh, three days pass the exchange happens and the, the fighting resumes um are we any better off I mean, really, are we actually any better off? Because how difficult will it be then to do another hostage exchange? Um, I just think it's just going to get more and more difficult. Freddie, fi your final thoughts. We're going to go to break in a moment. But uh, uh, what, what are your final thoughts on this? You know, leap, leap forward a few days and a few weeks. And look back at this from a future perspective. Go ahead. Well, if it fails, I mean, the answer is very simple. It will be extremely hard to go back to the negotiation table. You know, it's, it's been so hard to get there, you know, just even mm -hmm. to get there. I think the, the, the real, the, the, the main point for the Hamas is is this six hours between 10 and 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so 10, 10 a.m. to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, to get really basically no... Uh, no air surveillance, you know, no drones, no airplanes, no nothing, you know, because uh, literally they know that if they can't get that and no guarantees on that, or if that particular guarantee is broken, uh, it's over. They're going to pull out immediately because it's going to endanger basically their operation. This is war. In wartime, the last thing you want to do is to give up uh, your, your your positions. So I understand from Hamas, you know, away from the you know the the debate and the October seventh, but uh, purely from a military point of view, the last thing you want to do is to give away your positions. They would talk about using four identical cars to release, you know, this uh, uh, hostage, you know, back and forth uh, to the borders, and then eventually for these four cars to head back uh, into the south, and then kind of a uh, uh, you know not being able. Uh, not revealing their position and who they are and who's on board and so on. So uh, there, there's definitely going to be some kind of tensions, very tense moments, uh, not only on the Palestinian side of it, the Israeli families as well. You know, I, at the end of the day, these are human beings and they also have feelings, they have their families. They're wondering who's coming back, you know, is their families is part of this 50? How these 50 people were chosen? We know that women, children's. Uh, who are they? So the, the anxiety is so unnecessary. It's unnecessary because it should not happen that way. It should not happen uh, as part of a, a truce. It should happen under a ceasefire. Right? And that is the reason why it's very concerning. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's, what else is concerning is how many hostages have been killed by the Israeli bombings. That That's also concerning because it shows you that Israel really doesn't have any regard for the hostages. If they did, they, they would have done a full swap. They would have negotiated this uh, over a month ago.
over a month ago. But what's clear is that the hostages were never a priority for the Israelis. They have the upper hand militarily, and they saw, well, we have an opportunity here to ethnically cleanse northern Gaza to make it unlivable and then to annex it as a security zone and then maybe keep it in perpetuity. That was their priority. It wasn't getting the hostages back. I wish Israelis could see this clearly because that's, to me, there's no way around that, Freddie. That's exactly like, you just look at what's unfolded in the last six weeks. I mean, the, the hostages were never a well, priority, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the, those that, that do see through the fog are, are mainly Israeli outside of Israel. Uh I not not most of them are not big fan of Israel's action or current action in the Gaza Strip. Some of them are even ex-militaries and and talking about the inconsistency of of the uh, of the IDF statements with regards to what happened on October the seventh. What is very clear to everyone is the timeline. I think what we needed is a timeline. Now I think we have a very solid timeline. I think the gray zone has done some great job as well, but other guys have done some good job as well. And uh, yeah, I think what's really important to understand is that that very uh, Hannibal doctrines that people are talking about uh, is very much alive, you know, although it was developed, you know, during the uh, uh, the incursion into uh, the Israeli incursion into uh, the southern part of Beirut. uh, This is something that has uh, really kind of uh, stayed uh, as part of a, a major doctrine to not have hostage taken prisoners is better to kill everyone than just to have them uh, prisoner because the the soldier Shalit, you know, which was made prisoner, uh, you know, a few, few years ago was uh, was obviously a heavy cost for the IDF. And uh, they said never again, once more. Uh, so very important to understand from, especially when you have a statement from a colonel from the Israeli Air Force telling you that this was not Hannibal doctrine, but a mass Hannibal Doctrine, because the Hannibal Doctrine only normally focus on one car, one action. It's one car which has really been identified as you know an important vehicle which have our stages. It doesn't. It never was meant to be a, a mass Hannibal Doctrine with uh, hundreds of cars targeted people on on the street on the roads running away for their life being targeted by helicopters. This is murder. This is murder of their own civilians, and they have really to, you know, to take the responsibility for that. But Israel just, they, they don't want to do that. Even Haaretz, you know, okay, it's a left kind of a newspapers, and they're not a big fan of Netanyahu. However, they still have to tell the truth. That's what journalism is about. And we have enough now nudge, nuggets and enough informations to actually compile a, a pretty fair, uh, good story about what happened on October the 7th. The numbers that I would provide are challengeable. The circumstances under which people were killed is very challengeable. And all in all, uh, we are finding what I've been fighting uh, against for the last past two weeks, a huge amount of propaganda and misinformation disseminated by the IDF. No, oh, no, that's that's for sure. It's been like an absolute Niagara Falls of disinformation. I mean, unbelievable, unprecedented too, but not of the highest quality, I might add. Look, I'm here with Freddie Ponton, independent researcher, journalist from France. Let's take a quick break here with TNT. Today's news talk, and we're going to cover some of the other uh, hardcore aspects of this story on the other side. You don't want to miss the final segment. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be right back. The climate agenda is a national security risk. Where do you hear this? 
from Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The climate and energy policies of California are threatening the security of residents. California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to in-state refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. We're in the final segment of the first hour here. Very pleased to be joined on the line by independent researcher, journalist from France, Freddie Ponton, who's been doing some stellar work uh, for the last six weeks on the whole uh, Palestine situation, Israel versus the people of Gaza, or as the mainstream media call it, Israel versus Hamas. See how they frame that uh, to basically make you forget that this has been going on now for 75 years. But uh, welcome to the land, the Alice in Wonderland landscape of the mainstream media, which is uh, quite incredible to watch, uh, especially when things are so obviously out of kilter. Uh, but they're, they're, funny enough, funny enough, even after all this time, they've had six weeks to adjust now to reality. And it seems, uh, Freddie, and I'd like your comment on this, um, just your comment in general on the shifting narratives in the mainstream media and the fact that it seems like the truth is like a beach ball, Freddie, and you can push it underwater. It's just going to pop up again. And this is what's happened, I think. And is this a case? Is there a political agenda? Uh, or is this a case of people working within the media can't that they can't sort of suppress the truth themselves? I mean, th- there's a mutiny going on in some, I would think, in some governments. We see letters of resignation by U.S. Uh, staffers in the federal government, like leaving en masse. They can't support the government's position on genocide. Um, so, like, on the media sort of story, how, how has this unfolded? Tell us the trajectory of this, Freddie. Well, it's definitely political in nature. I mean, CNN, BBC, MSNBC, so these, these are not, you know, uh, these are not just kind of popular uh, journalists or uh, journalism house you know that are known to be very impartial and providing providing people around the world with both sides of the the story now they, they, they this is a political move and it's really to they're putting their their foot down so in the uk with uh obviously uh the circus rishi sunak is putting uh it clearly uh clearly see bbc is going to uh uh to put their foot down you know to to get her, uh, to to reaffirm their their positions because they've been uh, 
basically under the fire for a very long time, especially during the, the COVID era. So, uh, and, and then in the Ukraine-Russian conflict. So this, this, these are opportunists and uh, CNN is one of them. They're saying uh, as, a, as a way to destabilize the, co- the government a little bit and uh, put them on, uh, paint them on, under a bad light, you know, showing them that something is going on in this part of the world. And, uh, you know, if push comes to shove, these companies, these media organizations are going to want to be on the right side of history because it's difficult to believe that after this uh, basically broadcasted murder of civilians, nothing is going to happen. I think uh, any business will want to... Uh, uh, to look forward, to look uh, ahead of time and trying to uh, kind of prepare themselves for how this is going to end up because uh, I don't think people are going to let that one go. Uh, it's just been horrible. You can look at the comments on social media. People are literally shocked, horrified. Uh, there is a literal psychological trauma that is taking place online. Some people just can't take it. And people are more importantly feel that the world they knew or they thought they knew is not what the world is actually is and if something of such nature is allowed to to be broadcasted online and nothing happened the united nations security council has failed the united nations missions and mandate is not appropriate clearly and it's not uh, empowered enough to be able to make a difference the right of veto is something that should and undermine basically humanitarian response in such atrocities and seeing these huge institutions we spend billions of dollars every year absolutely politically uh you know the hand behind their back not able to do what they should be doing so i think the media is going to capitalize on that there's no doubt about it and if there are opportunities for them to show that they are actually can do some kind of journalism or investigatory uh, investigatory uh, journalism, then they will do so. Now, they're not going to do the work themselves. They're going to go online, pick up work from people like myself and many others, which are doing a great job at basically pointing the fingers or, uh, at the inconsistencies and the propaganda that comes out of the IDF. And we saw the BBC. I mean, look, how many people were talking about a dog, you know, filming the tunnels, you know, being lowered down in the shaft because there's not enough space for humans to to crawl down there? Nobody was talking about it. As soon as I put the story out, the next day, without obviously any kind of credit, the BBC come out with a complete expose, explaining to the people where exactly the shaft is, uh, which is, okay, it's one meter and a half, two meters within the Al-Shifa hospital. Uh, and we are told that this is under the Al-Shifa and it leads to the bunker. Well, it doesn't because the tunnel goes actually on the in the other direction, under the Ibn Sina street, you know, which has been bulldozed by the IDF. So we know that all the old thing is falling apart and they have no other choice but to pick up some of these details and then make you know themselves look like they're doing some investigation when literally their work come from people like myself and many others yeah that's pretty much it that's pretty much it so i mean <clears throat> it, it is encouraging to see this shift but it worries me freddie because it's like it, it let, let's say this was a nuclear standoff or something like that you know are the media going to drag their feet for three or four weeks like, I mean, how are they going to react? I mean, they're just too slow. 
Um, and that's that's one of the things I'm concerned about is there's this kind of attitude like they it's almost like a playbook, Freddie, where they're like, oh, we're going to go with the official narrative here. We go with the establishment and then a week goes by, two weeks go by and they're like, oh, this isn't looking very good. This isn't looking very good. A third week goes by and they're like, oh, no, this is really bad. And the fourth week, we're, we're nobody trusts us anymore. Uh, this is just a disaster. And then fifth week, I think we need to say something. I think we need to do something about this. I mean, that's not going to cut it, is it, Freddie, when you're talking about thermonuclear powers? Okay. That's my problem no. with the press. Go ahead. Well, absolutely not. And I think there is uh, also, for those that, that spend time on social media across different platforms, we, we, we've also identified a, this kind of movement where, where people are actually starting to, to, to talk about the responsibility, even the legal responsibilities of media for covering up, basically. Uh, I'm not basically doing uh, and being, you know, the quality of journalism is so low and it's so low so poor so in uh and that it's not adapted to what we are saying there's a discrepancy in between what's going on in gaza and what has been reported to a, le a level that is you know basically uh, uh make it very difficult for the media to uh uh, to, to get away with it. Uh, should something goes wrong, see, finally, judgment, justice comes to the Palestinians, and eventually there is a trial for war crimes, war against humanity, where this is going to be impossible for the judge and for those investigating this particular case to not have a look at what the media and what was the role of the media during this crisis, because the UN uh, definitely fell at providing that, you know, that uh, security uh, handle, if you will, that security vacuum uh, to protect the Palestinians. They felt that. But the media also has failed. They have failed the Palestinians and they have failed to denounce, you know, unanimously a genocide. And there must be some form of responsibility uh, in, in that sense as well. So I think it's what we are seeing at the moment is the left, especially the left, uh, political left, is which, which is known to have always been, uh, you know, kind of taking on this kind of uh, the side of these lost cases where, you know, especially Palestine. So it's always been an, an important file, an important topic for the left. So for them to not be doing anything, for the media supporting the left, uh, agenda, even the far left agenda, for not saying anything, something is really wrong here. And I think, they, as you said, they, they could not afford to start after four weeks not saying anything. So they're just doing some damage control. But it's not enough. It's absolutely not enough. It's not sincere. Um, and spe well, speaking of no. speaking of uh, uh, people that are compromised, so just we got a couple minutes left. What about the political uh, uh, situation? Is there a political price to pay in France? I know the French. There's a big pro-Palestinian uh, block in France. It's huge. They have very strong views on it. They do see this as a liberation struggle, a, 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 a humanitarian issue. And then you have the European Union basically you know, creating this umbrella over the whole of Europe, Ursula von der Leyen taking it upon herself to put the Israeli Star of David uh, projected onto the European Parliament when this whole crisis began, and then flying over to Israel when she's not even a foreign envoy. So, so where does that leave France? Just quickly before we uh, break, go ahead. 
Well, France is a, is a disaster, you know, because there's no leadership and there's no opposition. So these are the two things that you need to have some sense or some form of, of political will, if you will. But as I say, Europe is a, is a, is a doomed place, politically speaking, because from the moment you lo you're losing your foreign policy sovereignties, that means you can act without fearing the European uh, Union uh, on your back you know, at every single statement that you make, then you have no sovereignty whatsoever. So France is basically doing the, uh, uh, you know, the ostrich policy, you know, burying their, burying, their, uh, burying their head in the sand, refusing to see the truth. And nobody wants to talk about Gaza. Nobody is interested in talking about it much because it's simply too embarrassing. And uh, they have a major problem with the large Muslim population, as you know, in France. So uh, any wrong statements, any wrong move, this could escalate really to a, to a pretty bad situation. And so far, if you look at all these social movements, you know, uh, really grassroots movement in France, you know, protesting against Macron, protesting against these emergency measures of the 49.3, these are never involved really uh, the Muslim communities and all these kind of, you know, neighborhood in France, in Paris and all, all over France, you know, they've never really got involved into this. You don't want to awaken that beast. And I think that's what France is doing, making sure they're not upsetting too much, because if it goes one step yeah, in the wrong way, this could really be incendiary. And I think that the government rather to stay quiet about it. So no, as I say, no opposition, no leadership, therefore no stands for, you know, on, to be on the right side of the history. It's absolutely appalling, Patrick. And I might add the 49-3 judicial and legislative reform by Macron very much mirrors some of the uh, legislative reforms by Bibi Netanyahu that caused people to come out in the street. I'm just making that comparison, Freddie. We'll leave it there. <laughs> Perhaps that'll be another discussion we're going to have in the future. Freddie Ponton, independent re researcher and journalist from France, thank you so much for your contribution to TNT today pleasure there he goes ladies and gentlemen but we got a lot more coming up you don't want to miss the second hour we're going to be connecting with palestinian activist hibba haj haj more on what's happening in gaza and beyond ladies and gentlemen you're listening to tnt today's news talk i'm patrick Hennings, your host stay with us more to come <laughs>